Welcome to Superlative. I am your podcast host, Ariel Adams. In each episode, you will meet someone who has inspired or takes inspiration from today's wristwatch industry. Every week, let's dive deep into the world of crafting exotic timepieces from the people who dream them up to the people who dream of them. It's time to get started and meet today's guest. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. My guest today is Todd Register. He's a creative leader and the director of the Mark Product over at Garmin. Todd, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. So our adventures together started several years ago when we first met around the launch of the Garmin Mark. And the Garmin Mark is a collection of, let's just face it, luxury smartwatches. I had anticipated the launch of this category as soon as smartwatches came on the market. I guess my first question that I'd like you to talk about is, in what year and what was the context at, at Garmin where the decision was made, let's make a luxury smartwatch product? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, going back, we we started uh, bringing nicer materials into our lineup uh, in 2016 with uh, Phoenix Chronos. That was the first big step into hey, let's build an all-metal watch. Let's bring in um, nicer materials like titanium. Um, so that was a big step forward for us. Um, but that was that was still pre-Mark back in 2016. Um, and at the time, actually, I was uh, working on my thesis project. I was getting a, a master's degree in design management. And um, the, the thesis that I was working on was you know, traditional timepieces and smartwatches, and what was the intersection of those two fields? And um, our answer to that was was Mark. So basically, bringing our technology into traditional watch craftsmanship and materials, um, and coming up with a lineup that re- um, that represented Garmin across all of our different industries that we we work in, right? Aviation, and marine, and outdoor things like that. So. Yeah, it really started back in 2015 um, was when the, the idea really picked up a lot, of, a lot of steam. And then in 2019, we launched the, the first collection of Mark, that first generation. Now, I think an interesting question is what was the impetus behind these materials? Of course, you know, there is the lifestyle luxury element, but was it more technical? They were trying to solve certain problems. I guess I'm trying to ask Right now, in the development of smartwatches, where does the line between innovation for functionality purpose and innovation for cosmetic purpose, where do those sort of intersect and where do those not intersect? Yeah, so when we launched the Mark line, you know, we had people telling us that we should do stainless steel because that was what 95% of the market was doing. Um, but, you know, that, that really wasn't the best fit for us. And we, we made the decision early on that the thing that was going to drive Mark was being an authentic tool watch, right? Uh, We want it to be something where we're focusing on performance. And so we decided we were going all in on titanium uh, across the board. And the reason for that is because uh, lightweight is super important when you're talking about a a watch that is, you know, recording your biometrics um, and getting GPS position. You don't want it moving around on your wrist if you can avoid it. Uh, not to mention when your 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 users are really active, you want that watch to be comfortable. Uh, we have you know people running marathons or doing an ultra race or 
um, you know, hiking days on end with it. And, you know, you just don't want this thing in the way, rubbing you, uh, literally rubbing you the wrong way. So we want to keep things comfortable, lightweight for good readings, and um, just something that, that you kind of forget is even on your wrist. I, I, got, I want to talk about that a little bit because I was just talking about the other day when it came to uh, lightweight smartwatches and I was being like, the Garmin ones, especially the higher end ones, are like impossibly light. On my wrist right now is the latest version of the Epix Pro, which is sort of like the model right underneath the Mark. Basically after this, you go into the Mark. And this one has titanium uh, as well as some um, uh, composite elements on it. And this is, again, it's, it's insanely light. But what it's interesting to hear you say is that it's not just for trendy purposes. There's a lot of functional reasons why a wristwatch, smart or otherwise, would need to be very, very lightweight. And uh, there's some very practical reasons. If it's too weighty, the heart rate sensor will move around a lot and not get a, a good reading all the time. It will maybe fatigue you. It won't be necessarily worn as much. Um, so I think it's very interesting because, again, Garmin is unlike a lot of the sort of traditional luxury watch companies because you have most of your, your focus is on, on creating tools that solve new problems and things like that. It's actually difficult, I think, and I'd like you to talk about this for consumers to imagine that there's just sort of a cosmetic division. Is it a separate team? Is it integrated into the sort of tool-making component of Garmin? Maybe you could help explain sort of the internal structure a little bit and where Mark fits in. Yeah, so, I mean, the team here at Garmin um, is, a, is a wide range um, from, you have designers to mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, antenna designers. Um, all of us are working together. Um, as far as the, the business side of things, and, and Mark in particular, it fits within our outdoor um, segment, so it's it's focused on having, you know, there's a certain level of durability that we're that we're bringing to our watches. Um, so, you know, we're we're testing the watches to like a military standard for drop testing, chemical resistance, waterproofness. Um, all those things are are really important for us to to make a watch that can survive out in the field. So, so like you mentioned, it sits in our in our outdoor group um, and. You know, we have this wide range of entry level with the Instinct onto Phoenix and uh, all the way up to Mark uh, as our, our high end. Where we're bringing in the, the nicest materials and pushing the envelope as much as we can. Now, a lot of companies, at least traditionally, have used a luxury part of their product catalog to experiment with new technologies or features that just might not be cost effective um, for their more mainstream or high volume products. And with Mark, I'd like to hear your thoughts on if there's potential there. Obviously, right now, the hardware seems to more or less be shared, unless maybe I'm wrong and there are certain upgrades in the Mark. Um, but talk a little bit about some of the things that you're trying to experiment on or would like to experiment on that works for a lower volume, higher price point now that wouldn't necessarily work for the sort of main volume production of Garmin smartwatches. Yeah. So, so one thing just to clear up is that they they don't share um, much of much of anything as far as like a platform. Interesting. They are are very different. Now, there's there's Talk a couple pieces. Yeah, there's a couple pieces that of course they do share, but um, the the construction, the antenna design between let's say a Phoenix and a Mark is completely different. And the reason for that is you know Phoenix has a metal bezel, a um, 
a polymer midframe, and then that metal rear case. Mark, on the other hand, is an all-metal watch. And to get the antennas to work properly um, is just a completely different assembly, design, um, and antenna design to get everything to function like it should. So they are different platforms, that, and it's much harder to build an, an all-metal watch. So that's that's a that's a, a big difference there. To to your other question about you know what things maybe trickle down uh, from Mark or things that we try out in yeah. in a higher end market. Uh, you know, one thing for instance, like we we started Mark with uh, titanium, grade two titanium, which which is great scratch resistance. Um, you know, we wanted to improve that as quickly as we could. So in in Mark Gen two, we we upgraded to a grade five titanium build all the way around and you know part of this uh, as you develop your watchmaking capabilities is is you know new partners um, people with new capabilities helping you to to create these things and um so you know you you can now see grade five titanium working into parts and pieces of let's say the phoenix line right um so through you know let's say when you unlock a new capability with a supplier or you know create something um yeah it's going to be a little more expensive at first and as you uh grow into that uh, there can be price reductions there that can then pass on to some some other watch lines so um yeah i think the materials that, that we've been looking at like you know with the new mark carbon lineup that that we've just introduced you know we, we would love to bring carbon fiber to our other watch lines where appropriate um but of course, it, it's not going to be this exact implementation of it because it's uh, it's extremely expensive to do. Um, but there's a lot of learning that goes on. How do you how do you build a carbon fiber watch that has GPS that has you know diff- these different bands of GPS, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, et cetera, and, and all functioning at a high level? I've noticed that titanium and carbon fiber are both very popular materials right now. Titanium is a lightweight and very durable and, and uh, excellent material for, for watchmaking, uh, both fine watchmaking and tool watchmaking. And carbon, um, in its many forms, with carbon fiber and various types of carbon composite cases and forged carbon, and there's a whole exotic world of, of carbon formulations, um, is really showing up across the board from uh, quite inexpensive to also very, very expensive watches. Talk a little bit about these types of materials, why you're excited about them, and maybe most importantly, why consumers should be excited about them. Yeah, so for our new Mark Carbon lineup, the Carbon Edition, you know, we, we introduced three watches, which is the Commander, the Golfer, and the Athlete in, in this carbon fiber material. And um, I'm really excited about it um, for a couple reasons. Um, you know, it's a material that we've spent at least five years really refining uh, it's called fused carbon fiber. It's 62% lighter than titanium. Um, it's more scratch resistant. Um, it's extremely rigid. Uh, and the way that we've engineered it, uh, we, we've given strength in the right places to, to pass all the military testing that I talked about. Um, so it's a really robust material. And that that lightweight you know, translates to just a super comfortable uh, experience on your wrist. So, where, you know, me personally, I like to mountain bike a lot, um, you know, in a titanium watch bouncing around on your wrist as you're going through rock gardens, 
um, you, you can feel that. Um, and you know, you wear the carbon fiber watch and you just, you don't feel it because it's, it's just that, that lightness makes quite a bit of difference. Also when you're running, uh, for long extended periods of time, uh, you know, that, that little bit of comfort increase that you get by lightening up the watch makes, makes a world of difference. So to customers, um, the functional benefit of course is there's an increased comfort that you get and also, uh, the improved, you know, steadiness on the wrist for, for, um, accurate readings. Right. But the, the other piece that I think is, is fantastic with the fused carbon fiber material is the aesthetic that you get. It's just a, a really unique aesthetic that, um, certainly not in a, um, we don't have a lot of competition, um, at, with the Mark lineup, um, as far as smart high-end watches, but just in general, the, the aesthetic that, uh, that this layered carbon fiber that, that we rotate and spiral around in different ways, um, it just catches the light in some unique ways. And it, and it really stands out as something different and unique. And I think a lot of our customers are interested in having that kind of unique piece. I know that one of the most important considerations for a smartwatch is the ability for signals to pass through the case or parts of the case. This is, of course, important. Um, with the GPS antenna and other antennas and things like that. My presumption is that carbon is a material that signals go through pretty well, at least compared, of course, to metal. But what, what, is, the, what is the Garmin <laughs> statement on, on the transmissibility of signals through carbon? Yeah, you, you would think that, right? And uh, I, I thought that too. Um, but our engineers hate carbon fiber. <laughs> you know, our antenna engineers, oh yeah, it is the worst material for antennas, honestly. Um, this is the way I explain it. Plastic uh, is something that antennas just go right through. You know, they don't really see it. So no problem with, uh, with plastic. Uh, metal blocks wireless signals, but you can design it in a way so that it's actually part of the antenna, right? And that's how Phoenix and Mark work today is that that metal design is amplifying the signal and radiating it in a way that, that gets that signal out. What carbon fiber does is it actually absorbs and distorts the antenna signals that are, that are trying to get out of the Fascinating. watch. Yeah, or into the watch for, uh, for GPS. So it really messes with things. And um, this is one of the main reasons we've spent so much time developing not only the material, but the implementation of the material with the antenna system. Um, we have a lot of different processes to ensure that um, what the watch is seeing is, is not just the raw carbon fiber material, uh, but something that it can work with and amplify those signals to get out of the watch. So how, how does that work? Because obviously you can't put the antenna underneath the carbon. There are other places, the screen and things like that, sometimes the back of the watch, sometimes certain ports on the side. I, I think that there's an amazing discussion to be had about antennas and things like that, similar to case water resistance. I mean, anyone that knows about the history of wristwatches knows that making watches water resistant was a journey and there's different ways of going about it. I think that in the future, people will talk about signals going in and out of cases the same way because there's like real engineering and problem solving and how the hell do we do this, which happens uh, apparently all the time. And so I think it's a very interesting story out there that consumers should care about because they just assume like, well, of course the watch is going to pick up signals. Um, but yeah. what you're sort of hinting at is that there's a deeper, almost hidden story there. 
Yeah, no, every, every watch, you know, even if it looks similar. So, so the, the carbon editions, they have some nice aesthetic differences uh, in the form besides just the, you know, the carbon material and the patterning that you get there. Um, we've redesigned some, you know, the buttons and um, the, the button guard area, right? So there's, there's physical differences there, but in general, right, it's the same dimensions. You would think it, it would work similarly, but each watch is a, is a unique journey to get the antennas to function properly. So like I was saying um, with the carbon fiber material, you know, the way that if you think of a lot of companies making carbon fiber watches, they'll have a, a carbon fiber shell on the outside and, and a metal uh, interior piece. Um, and, you know, we, we had looked at some solutions like that early on, but where a mechanical watch, typically the, the inner workings of the watch are, are pretty small compared to the case. You have a lot of room to do some of these things. Um, we, you know, we're trying to fit as much technology as we can into these things. And there's certain distances for antenna reasons that need to be maintained. Um, so the housing itself, um, from the carbon fiber, it then gets, um, injected on the inside with um, specific mounting points. Then there's a, a metallization process that happens. We looked at a lot of different processes um, to make that happen, but there's a specific one that we landed on that, that works really well for this um, because it's not just can you get metal on the inside, but it's also how durable is that metal um, and how long will, will that maintain its performance over time. Um, so, we, we, over the years, have found the correct mineralization process for this. And um, basically, you know, the, the watch internals is, is seeing a, a metal structure on the inside while you've got this beautiful carbon on the outside with all the weight savings. Um, so, yeah, there was a, a lot that went into it. And, um, yeah, we're just really happy that we found a solution that meets or even exceeds where the, where the all-titanium version is today. As a sidebar discussion, I wanted your opinion on the fact that Garmin has been making smartwatches, uh, GPS watches, as they were sort of called originally, for a long time now, more than 20 years uh, by my estimate. And one of the things that's very important for watch design is how things age over time. Do you think that Garmin has a special up on some of the competition simply because you've been doing it for so long? And not only do you know what works and doesn't, but you know how things age? Because in the wristwatch <clears throat> industry, traditionally, this made a big difference in movement oils and types of the ways that you made metal because you sort of know how it would age over time or you know that colors would fade. Um, I'm just curious if there's sort of this whole wealth of knowledge that you have that other companies that are newer than you uh, are going to have to learn themselves and they're going to make a ton of mistakes. I mean, you know, we have a huge amount of tribal knowledge that we have developed over time that we've put into, you know, organized into design guidelines, you know, because we, we test everything and we've been on the market for a very long time. Um, and our users are not just casual users. They are running an ultra marathon with it. So when you talk about comfort designing a band that is comfortable, it needs to be ventilated. It needs to have a certain amount of stretch. There needs to be certain angles that are maintained um, and the sharpness on certain areas because a, a slight discomfort in daily wear can turn into a real problem, um, you know, three quarters of the way through an ultra marathon. So yes, we've definitely put it through um, a lot of different paces and 
And you think of all the different markets that we serve with, you know, triathletes, like open water swimming and salt water um, to pilots to, um, you know, outdoorsmen. I mean, there's just this huge range of different types of activities that our users are putting the paces through. But I will say that, um, you know, no, we, we don't have some, you know, in, in, um, unassailable position on, on um, knowledge on this. You know, people, this market moves very quickly and we certainly don't take anything for granted. So we are always, um, you know, improving, learning from um other people, interesting things that they're doing and uh, trying to push forward while maintaining the things that we have learned. Right. Um, so we're, we're always on our toes, always trying to um, make the best product we can and not, and not taking anything for granted. I want to talk again about data here because I think that there's some interesting tools that smartwatch companies have that traditional companies do not have. And because it's a smartwatch and it's sending data all over the place, you I'm guessing know how many active Garmin smartwatch wearers are out there, what models they're wearing, how many hours a day they're wearing. Of course, privacy is, of course, maintained, but there are statistics you have about, you know, what people are wearing and what they do with it. Again, I'm just going to clarify, this data exists, right, for your team to use. Yes, I I will say that um, there, as you mentioned, privacy is a huge concern for us. There are a lot of regulations, especially European regulations on, mm-hmm. on privacy. Um, and so we, we respect those, uh, you know, to the nth degree. And, um, you know, we certainly look at uh, the basic information um, on, a, on a high aggregate level to try and understand and serve our users better. Um, but we, you know, we're not digging into every little detail of what, uh, what everyone's doing, obviously. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, and I'm, and I'm not the data expert, so um, this, is, this is not my, my field of expertise. But I, but I do know that, um, of course, we, we do look at how, how our users are using our products, um, where they're running into problems, and, and we try and correct those where we can, uh, all while maintaining their, their privacy. Um, it's, it's a major point of emphasis for us. I mean, it's it's funny because there is this sort of sensitivity around this conversation because, of course, there's the le- legal issues, there's the PR issues, and it's funny that it sort of limits our ability to discuss this, but the reality is, is that there's tools available um, that, you know, again, within the limitations of how you can use it, they give you insights, really, really valuable insights that you can use to make such better products compared to the fact that, when you sold a traditional watch, other than somebody buying it, you didn't even know if they wore it. You didn't know sure. if it was comfortable or not. And so I guess the point I'm trying to make, and not, not trying to get Garmin to disclose how they use data, but really to say that as a product designer, you now no, don't have to guess. You now have all this information available. You say, hey, folks, people aren't wearing it for enough hours a day. Maybe that's because it's uncomfortable. Maybe that's because the battery's dying. But if our goal is to make sure that people keep this product on, they're not doing it. We have, we are now flagged that there's an issue. It's not a theoretical issue. There's a real issue here. Or you know, you have all this ability to know how it's being used, and to me, that allows you to speed up the R and D process 
incredibly. You know, what took the traditional watch industry 50 years to figure out, I think is a 10-year or 15-year thing in the smartwatch industry. And my hope is that's going to accelerate, you know, where these products go. You know, is there a 5, 10, 15-year outlook on what a smartwatch will be at Garmin? Or is it really just sort of you take it product by product and you just sort of see what comes next? Yeah, I mean, one thing that was really cool, actually, is that, you know, as I mentioned, we designed the Mark lineup to, okay, a pilot watch for pilots, right? And an outdoor watch for outdoorsmen and, um, you know, a sailing watch for sailors. Um, so we had these a golfing watch for golfers. And, you know, to your point about the data, um, it was really nice to see that, you know, the number one activity for Mark Golfer was golfing. The number one activity for our pilot watch was flying, right? So, you know, we're able to see, hey, you know what? We actually are making a tool watch that's serving our customers in the way that we thought it would, where they're really using it for the activity we designed it for. Um, So that's a a cool piece of information where we were able to to validate um, the premise of the Mark lineup as a modern day tool watch. And we're able to see that data that, hey, they actually are using these things for the purposes designed, right? Is that, I mean, when you when you get that type of validation, it's almost like you do your job so well. Are you like, do we make for more activities now? Do we find the, the you know, the Mark hand glider, you know, or is it really about saying, and now how do we make that even better for golfers, for commanders, for athletes and things like that? I'm just wondering where the impetus is because I know that Garmin likes to have a product for like so many use case scenarios. Yeah, there's there's a million activities, right, that, that are out there. And, uh, you know, people have rightly asked, well, why don't you just make one watch that does everything, right? And I can, I can kind of understand like, oh, well, it's, it's software. You could do one thing that does everything. Um, and, and what I would say to that is that if you made one watch that did everything, it would not have a personality or a theme, right? It would just be the watch for everyone. And if it's for everyone, it's kind of for no one is the problem. Um, so what we're trying to do is design a watch that, you know, a sailor wants to wear. Mark Captain looks like a sailing watch, right? And the Mark Aviator looks like a pilot watch. Um, you know, the Mark Athlete has a more sporty, dynamic, two-tone design that, with, you know, bolder color accents that, that fit that. And the markings on the bezel are VO2 max and recovery time for the athlete. And that works into the software. You know, on the golfer, we have a 1 through 18 hole indicator that works with the software while you're playing golf. So the hardware and the software are actually connected. And then, you know, on the on the on the pilot watch, we, we pay a lot of extra money for our uh, aviation databases, right? There's royalties to pay. There's, there's different things that we build into each theme for that specific customer. And if you're a triathlete, you, you don't want to be paying for the, the aviation maps, right? That's just not something you need. So, um, yeah, there's, you know, I would say that's that's really why we... So it's a basically these. a more complicated story than it seems on the surface. Absolutely, yeah. It seems kind of simple, like, oh, it's just software, but there's a lot that goes into it to make it appropriate for, for our customers. Well, I had a question that's sort of related to this and has a little bit more to do with technology development. And you talk about how the bezels, 
can have indicators that are specific to certain types of um, activities. And I've always thought that this is an area for innovation where you could have a bezel that essentially is a screen, maybe a different screen than the one that's for the main dial, but that you could have a changing of the indicators. You could have an e-ink style screen or something like that so that you could bring the bezel into the world of digital interfaces and not have it be you know, basically as analog as something from 100 years ago. Uh, you know, is there development on that? Is something that is being looked into? I just want to know your opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can you can have a. It's theoretically possible to have a, a digital bezel, but I I think the goal with this was to create a watch that that felt like a real watch that you would want to wear. And there's something about having a physical bezel that makes a difference. Um, so, though the way you're talking, if it was actually a separate screen, you start to stack up all these. You know, it gets really big. Um, there's limitations on, you know, you can't have like a, a donut screen. Uh, how do you connect that through all the waterproofing layers? Um, so there's a, there would be a ton of technical issues to, to if you even could make that idea work. Um, but, you know, let's just say you, you just had one big display underneath and had markings on the outside um, that that could be your bezel. The problem is, you know, it's just a big piece of glass. And I think that's exactly what we're... We don't want to do with Mark is to have a, a big piece of glass that looks like I'm wearing a giant display. We want people to have a, hey, that's a nice watch. Oh, that's it's a smart watch. You know, that's almost a second read as opposed to the physical impression is clearly, um, you know, a, a watch, a traditional watch aesthetic. So thank you for the explanation. So what I'm hearing is that right now, uh, the increase in functionality that it could potentially bring wouldn't offset the ugliness <laughs> and uh, the other sort of negatives that it could lead to. That theoretically speaking, a bezel that could change shape is great, but it would need to look elegant at least at least for the mark yeah. the mark side of the collection. Yeah, you know, you, you, we've of course over the years we have looked at rotating bezels or modular bezels or you know. Uh, with different electronic functionality, and when inevitably um, there is a size <laughs> and a uh, well, really mostly a size penalty that you pay for that. Um, and so there's been a lot of big watches created over the years that, as we've looked at them, said no, that's that's not what the customer wants. Um, they want something small, compact that feels like a traditional watch. Um, so those are hard trade-offs to make because there's some really cool ideas to make some of these things. And I think some some companies can get away with some things like that. Um, but of course, they're not waterproofing to 100 meters. They are not military drop testing their products. So there's you have to weigh in how durable is this thing? Um, how long is it going to last? And, and what kind of technology are you building building into it? Hi, this is Ariel Adams, founder of A Blog to Watch, with a message about eBay. I visit eBay daily and have been relying on eBay to learn about and acquire watches for more than 20 years. Did you know that you can now buy watches directly from brands or their authorized dealers on eBay? Timepieces coveted by watch enthusiasts from brands like Zodiac, Loco, Parallel, and more are part of eBay's Certified by Brand program. Here's how it works. 
Luxury Names are partnering with eBay to bring brand new and pre-owned watches and other luxury accessories directly to you. Certified by brand includes a minimum one-year factory warranty for watches and offers an unprecedented selection of new and used watches directly from the source, all with the peace of mind you can expect from eBay. Visit ebay.com slash certified by brand for more information. Let's talk about miniaturization, uh, which I think is one of the most probably important areas of, of research and development in the smartwatch category. Uh, in the traditional watch category, and I always like to sort of compare things a little bit, um, at various points in time, that was you know the most crucial area of development uh, prior to the um, release of quartz watches. There was a huge effort to make mechanical watches thinner and thinner, and that sort of accumulated in the 1960s. And that's, you know, that's where the, the ultra-thin automatic movement, for example, comes from. And more recently with technology watches, it's been primarily the Japanese companies, Casio, Citizen, Seiko, who have been pushing forward in miniaturization. And you have all these interesting electronic watches that they make, uh, even with GPS, that they made smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, we wouldn't call those modern smartwatches because they didn't have sort of the types of screens and connected technologies and batteries and memory and things like that that we're talking about. Um, but maybe you could talk a little bit about the push towards hardware miniaturization. Obviously, it's a process that takes time, but how valuable is that to, to, to Garmin? And what are some of the very real challenges, of course, battery being one of it uh, and screen size being one of it, that, that could, could prevent smartwatches from uh, further getting smaller? Oh, one of the main challenges is that we're always adding new stuff to it, right? right? So if you always kept the same feature set, over the years, I think you, you could make that smaller and smaller things do get thinner. Um, battery technology advances, although not as quickly as we would like. But the problem is you keep adding more and more things, more and more capabilities into the watch. Um, and so I think more realistically, the model that um, I think we've embraced is we, we find a size that works for our customer. And, um, you know, we put as much technology as we can into that size. And if, and if there's not compelling technology to put in, we're not just trying to cram stuff in there, but if, um, then we will make it smaller, right? But, um, you know, it, there's almost always new technology to put in. Uh, what things are we going to put in versus leave out? And um, it's, it's almost more about maintaining that size that you land on when you, you, know, you make these, as a designer, right? That's my background. And, and you, you have uh, these models that we test with people we, and we look at the proportions. We say that is a great proportion for a watch. You know, you don't necessarily have to make it thinner. If, if you make it too small, at some point it starts to feel, you know, dainty or fragile. Um, or just it changes, it doesn't feel like a tool watch if that's what you're trying to create, right? So, um, you know, there's a lot of different things that go into deciding, do we want to make it thinner or do we want to put more technology into it? I, I think that's a very healthy conversation and a great answer because you're right, there's always more and more features coming in. And I wouldn't say we're sort of in the era of, you know, smartwatch miniaturization. We're in the era of smartwatch innovation and improvement and adding new features. What I will say is that there's a large population of traditional watch wearers who have this mental idea of the profile, right? The size, the thickness, the overall dimensions they want a watch to be. 
And what I've heard from a lot of them is until there's a smartwatch, which more or less fits that same shape, they're going to stick with what they like. Now, they're traditionalists, and they are, of course, the hardest people to convert. I'm simply saying I've identified that for them, that's a real limitation. They don't want something thicker. They want, they want it to sort of um, you know, fit their mental eyed picture of what a watch is supposed to be. New generations that grow up with these products, you're right, they're going to have very different expectations and considerations. But I think that traditional watches have reached a, an apex of style and refinement that companies, at least Apple, have said, you know what, we're actually going to follow traditional watches when it comes to the dials we make and some of the themes and some of the language we use much more than technology. So I just think it's sort of interesting that there is uh, that factor out there. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you that, um, you know, someone who wants to wear a 38 millimeter watch, let's say, um, yes, uh, most smartwatches today are are bigger than that, right? And um, I think that there are there are going to be options in the future. Um, you know, antenna design, just as one example, there are physical limitations that making it smaller reduces antenna performance at a certain point until new innovations come along and, and negate that. But I think that at some point, um, we will have a very capable smartwatch that will be, let's say, at that, you know, a more traditional 38 millimeter size instead of you know, 46 millimeters or whatever it is where a lot of people are currently at. What is the discussion internally around Apple? They're probably the biggest competitor, although if you really look at the details, it's more complicated than that. But, you know, is it is it one of admiration? Does it seem as sort of like the arch nemesis? I'm just curious what the cultural relationship between Garmin and Apple is. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're aware of our competitors. Um, you know, we, we see what they do. And but to be honest, we are much more focused on where we're going and, and what we're doing. So you can get really lost in looking at your competition and trying to trying to chase that or, or um, you know, trying to emulate what, what someone else is doing that looks like that could be cool. Um, so we're really focused on just executing to our customers what they want. And I think we have uh, we've carved out a really nice niche for ourselves as far as serving a customer base that wants the most capable product out there. And we just continue to double down on that offering, you know, the best industry leading battery life, right? Weeks of battery life instead of days. Yeah. Um, and the most advanced training features that if you really live the lifestyle of a sport athlete, um, it can take you to the next level. Your, your watch is your training partner and it can push you to that next level. So we're trying to make those type of connections with our customers and, and maintain that, that position that we've had for so long. I, you know, I'll sort of explain my perspective on it. And thank you for sharing that. I think that was <laughs> very diplomatically put. I recommend that if you want to wear a smartwatch, but you're not sure what to do with it, maybe an Apple Watch is right for you. If you have a specific idea of what you want to do with it, which is probably related to activity tracking, fitness, uh, or some type of other uh, activity use, Garmin is probably the one right for you. Uh, there's definitely the market's big enough for both, and definitely people can see that it's out there. But it's sort of like the, ash, the athleisure crowd, which might ultimately be a bigger market, Apple. 
And the people who are actually less leisure and more athletic about it, uh, Garmin. And I think that's sort of a safe approach that gives both um, types of products, you know, legitimacy and a placement in the market. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, again, you don't have to agree or disagree, but you see my perspective? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And let's not forget that not everybody has an iPhone. Uh, I think that's one of the great things. We're, we're kind of platform agnostic. Yep. So um, you bring your phone and, uh, you know, whatever that is, whether it's iPhone or Android, and, and you're going to have a great experience with uh, your Garmin watch. Now, in terms of the, the features and things like that, this is something that I am so incredibly interested in. Because, you know, with, with traditional watches, years ago they established kind of like what they were able to make and what people like in terms of functionality. Chronograph, oh, that's super useful. People like that. Second time zone, like that. Calendars, great. Smart watches, yeah, they have their features, heart rate monitor and you know certain things like that. But I'm still trying to see consumers say, I can't live without that. That's so useful to me. Maybe they feel it. What do you think are going to be emerging as like the top 10 list? Maybe they don't have to have that many, but like those features that people associate with smartwatches aren't available for traditional watches. And like, they, they don't want to live without this. These are things that they agree. Now that this is part of my life, I want these features. I want these sensors. I want this data right there on my wrist. Mm-hmm. I mean, a couple things that come to mind are health and wellness, right? So having something that you can wear 24-7 that is keeping track of all your vitals and giving you insights into hey, your health has changed in this way from, from your baseline to this. Um, you know, you can, or if you notice a change in your health, you're able to go back and look at your data and say, okay, you know, I can see my resting heart rate really jumped up during this time. Um, you know, making some connections on how, what you're doing in your life and how your body is reacting to that. I think that's, that's a key area. Um, I think another area is, again, on advanced performance features. So really helping people understand the terrain they're on, um, how to navigate it, how to get to where they're going, um, how to rest and recover for their next uh, event, things like that. But, um, you know, the data science, a lot, a lot goes into that to create features that are you know, monitoring athletes at a high level and, and helping them push further. Another thing I think is going to be communication. Um, so, you know, being connected across uh, multiple type of, types of networks. Um, I think that's going to be an area where people want to be connected to feel safe while they're out and about. Um, you know, things like that are going to be very important as this is a 24-7 device. Um, I, I will say, like, you know, as like the mark line in particular as we pushed into watch shops you know at first you, you get this oh well we uh we only sell the you know these top brands we you know uh, we don't sell smart watches and um as they over the years with mark as they've seen the quality of materials and, and craftsmanship in the line and smart watches have grown and become more accepted um it's been interesting to see uh you know, even watch dealers of, of very reputable brands, you know, always having their garment on, even though they have to wear their other mechanical watch on their wrist. Um, because it is one of those things where you, once you start wearing it, you get this type of data about yourself. 
the the convenience of the notifications and controls and things, um, it's really incentivizing you not to take it off. Um, so it can give you this 24-7 picture of how you're sleeping, um, you know, how your day-to-day uh, health is going. And, and um, I think that's one of the, the best things about, you know, smartwatches and, and where we're trying to go is it, it can be that 24-7 companion across multiple aspects of your life, um, which while we all, you know, love mechanical watches and, and the engineering that goes into that, it's just a, it's a different type of, uh, of a situation um, with the product they're offering. Right. And of course, I think it's it's also important to add, and then I want to bring up an interesting topic, is that a watch, given its proximity to your body, is going to be able to collect more data and a higher quality level of data than a phone, for example. And some people will be like, my phone you know, says the same things. I'm like, yeah, it's a lot of estimates. It's a lot of algorithmic-based things. Like, you need, you need to actually have a lot more raw data. And then my, my next point goes into data, and we agree that you know, the smartwatch uh, being worn um, and, and being tracked while you wear it, it, it uncovers an enormous amount of data, more data than I think a human can necessarily make sense of. And what I've seen as being a probabilistic next step is having an AI component, right? You have uh, an AI who's looking at your data and then tries to make sense of the data and tries to answer certain questions, make predictions, offer useful things like that. How far are we from that data being churned through sort of a personalized AI assistant and um, recommendations or insights uh, that you know use your own data um, are going to be presented to you, which add yet another level of value? Yeah. I mean, I will say this is certainly not my area of expertise. Um, but in general, I mean, we are seeing AI, you know, as part of our lives, um, in so many different ways. Um, you know, it's something that we're certainly aware of evaluating here at Garmin, um, and, and looking at, um, and I think that you're right that the ability to sort through the vast amount of data, cause it can be very overwhelming, right? You know, you throw too many charts at someone that's, that's never the right way to um, incentivize people. To and by the way, there's a things. lot of charts on Garmin watches. You can have a charge <laughs> to your are. heart's content. <laughs> there are. Um, you know, we, we do our best to give you insights into, hey, um, here is how you slept, you know, and here's a summary and you can dig into those charts if you want to. Um, but I think, I think you're right. AI could uh, make a huge difference there in sorting through some of that and, and giving you insights into into what that data is. It's exciting. It could even be a service unto itself. I think people will be willing to pay a, a monthly fee, especially since AIs use an enormous amount of processing power. No one expects it to, to necessarily not have a cost associated with it. Again, I just sort of try to be a futurist and imagine where some of this stuff evolves. And, you know, AI, as we call it today, is essentially a very fancy calculator. And we have this data that needs to be calculated, right? So you have this data, and now you have this amazing calculator. Like, oh, great, now we can do something with this. We just now need to ask the right questions. So we have the data, we have the calculator. What's missing is the right questions to ask the calculator about the data, and then to sort through all the various legal, privacy, uh, and, and, and lit- litany of, we'll call them human factors, that, that will get in the way of sort of implementation. But I, again, I just, I can't see the tide going anywhere but that direction. Yeah, I think there's a ton of potential there for sure. And as to how it all plays out, we will, we will just have to see. 
Now, another thing that we'll sort of have to see is where the luxury side of the market goes. Now, you would agree, I guess, fundamentally, that while there's functional benefits here, the mark establishes a high end. It's an aspirational side. It's you can get you know a lot of the functionality per se, and and and, and not an inexpensive but a less expensive platform. This is this is the lifestyle smartwatch for Garmin, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's it's the watch for someone who wants the best of what Garmin has to offer, and it's the watch that someone who wants a, a timepiece, something that looks like a traditional watch, um, you want a mark, right? So yeah, there is. Um, it's not about having so many more features or anything than our other options. That that is not the point. Although we do try and build in value where we can, uh, where it makes sense. But at the same time, no, it, what you're really paying for is the design and the materials and the craftsmanship that, that we give you with the Mark lineup. Now, a couple of years ago, you made the bold decision to sell the Mark watches through traditional watch retail. Um, and I want to compare this with I think that most Garmin watches are purchased either directly from Garmin through a third-party uh, electronics retailer, um, either online or in person. And with the mark, you actually said, let's, let's be where other luxury watches are sold. Talk a little bit about that decision and, and how's that been going? Yeah, it's, it's been going great. You know, it, um, it's been a long journey, as I mentioned to, you know, I think at first, uh, if you go back to 2019, you know, 2018, when we launched Mark and even, even Phoenix Kronos back in 2016, there was a lot of resistance to, well, this doesn't really belong here. It's a smartwatch. Um, and I think a lot of the, there's a lot to understand with the watches that can be kind of intimidating for dealers. They know mechanical watches, um, smartwatches unlock this whole new set of questions that customers are going to have. But yeah, the distribution, what we really like about dealing with the watch shops, um, especially in Europe, because there's so many of them there, um, is that the watches are able to be presented in a way that really showcases the material and the design. So you're able to compare them to higher end offerings um, from other brands um, to see the, the type of materials we're using, um, the design and craftsmanship that we've put into them. Um, and we think that that shows quite well there's a there's someone to you know guide you through it if necessary and 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 help you see the watch so um there's this whole experience that happens at a watch shop that you you just don't get online um you know it's just being able to try it on in person and, and feel and touch the quality um that's something that is really hard to get across just as an online experience would you say that it's the right thing for a luxury smartwatch to be sold by an enthusiastic third person that can make you feel good about it, walk you through the options. Um, you know, talk a little bit about where you see that the future of how people are going to buy a Garmin Mark. Well, I, I certainly think. I mean, we do both, right? We sell our Mark line directly. If you want to buy it from us directly, you certainly can do that, uh -huh. um, and and that's totally fine. If you want to go in and try it on and and see for yourself, I think it is important that we have. Um, someone, a physical space where you can actually do that. So I think we, we try and give our customers um, options for both experiences, depending on, on what they want to do and, you know, kind of leave it up to them at that point. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the educational part of this. 
I think that one of the most interesting things about all Garmin smartwatches is the depth of customization, the available software. I mean, just the watch faces alone on the third-party market, it's almost uh, an intimidating amount. But what I have found is that unless you are kind of a hobbyist and a nerd that will sort of teach yourself, there doesn't seem to be as much as I'd like of educational content, guide content. I mean, I think there should be, you should offer in-person classes, you know, <laughs> here's, how to, mm-hmm. here's how to, you know, use your, your Garmin smartwatch uh, better. And, and again, the traditional watch world doesn't really need this because it's just not very complicated to explain how to use them. It's more complicated to explain how they're made and the whole history of them. What do you think would be at least something on the road to a good solution for the problem that you, you can't just teach people to have desire and buy it, but similar to any complicated piece of software like Photoshop or something like that, there's like this learning curve. And so the more mm-hmm. people know how to do, use them, the better for you. They'll come back to buy more. They'll be more enthusiastic. They'll get more appeal out of it. But it's, it's sort of a, a big learning curve there. What, what do you think some of the solutions to that could be? I think it's a multi-pronged approach. So on, on the physical side, right, we do have Garmin flagship stores um, across many different countries so that you can go in and get that full experience from a Garmin professional. Okay. Um, so that is yeah. available. Like someone can sit there for like it hours is. and just show you how to customize your screens? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, um, you know, that's there's a lot of um, Garmin headquarters across all of Europe that, that have that infrastructure built in. We have our um, Garmin um, retail headquarters down in Miami where you can go in and, and get that experience as well. Um, so I think there is a physical piece to that. But also, just like you're saying, um, I know we're, we're building out videos um, where uh, Garmin retail videos where we, we walk you through a product and show you how to use the key features in a less marketing kind of a way and more of a, hey, this is um, you know, how you might use this product and some of the, the core features to help people understand them and walk them through them a little bit better. And then even directly on, on your phone, when you when the, the pairing experience, right? When you, uh, you know, unbox your mark and then you pair it with your phone, we walk you through a tutorial, right? Uh, an animated tutorial that shows you, if you press this button, this is what this does. And press this button, this is, you know, how, this is how you launch an activity and this is how you get to your controls. Um, so we try and walk you through some of the key elements right on your phone. Um, and, I, and hopefully by all of that, right, with um, content on uh, on YouTube or the web and uh, retail stores, the uh, the in-app experience with Garmin Connect, we're able to help our customers wrap their head around the product because it is an extremely complicated product. It's it's an extremely powerful product, and when you have something like that, you you have to help people understand it. So that's that's what we're trying to do. What about some of the internal? you know, documents and things like that. Like, I know it's a struggle because the, the software keeps updating all the time. But, you know, back in the day, you know, you'd buy a Casio G-Shock and there'd be like an inch and a half thick, you know, instruction manual that would just tell you everything. Yes, that was a finished product and nothing was changing after the fact. But how do we get back to the culture of having, you know, good documentation for the people that at least want to dig in themselves? Because, you know, at least from what I've found on the public side, a lot of that is missing when it comes to the nitty gritty. 
And and I wonder, is it because it's it's difficult to justify the investment in? Is it too much of a moving target? Help me understand what some of the problem is to, to creating that high quality level of documentation. Yeah, I mean, you know, as a worldwide company, um, there's and selling them um, all across the mark line, all across the world. It's um, you know, you can't have a one book, one thing that fits everyone, right? So you know, you have to focus on the key experience. Um, that you want your customer to understand and have that physical representation. But we found that most people just are pulling it up on their phone or on their computer if they want to get really into the nitty-gritty of um, the operation of the watch, um, the the deep, deep settings, right? Um, So we make that extremely easy to find uh, for the owner's manual online um, that you can get to all of that. And I think that that... That is probably a better way than putting in a, a giant book in each one. I think people are mindful of, um, you know, not wanting a, a ton of physical things that, that go along with the product that they, they may not use very often. I guess it's one of those things that is still being figured out. You know, I try to talk to people about how fast this is moving. And one of the examples I t- sometimes talk about is charging cables. <laughs> and it sometimes seems that every single smartwatch I get uh, you know, tends to have a different charging solution or a different concept mm-hmm. behind it. And even companies like Garmin switch it up a lot. Not not because anything is particularly wrong, but you're always trying to get it better, improve upon things here and that. And, you know, I think that what's interesting for me is you, you start to get designery once the product is a little bit more established, right? Like, this is how the car is built. There's the four wheels. We know where the doors go. Now we can start to make things pretty. In the, in the world of smartwatches, we can't even figure out what some of the basic forms are, the shapes. Uh, there's no universal charging or antenna concept. This is such a fluid area that the design side is always going to have a disadvantage in this era because, again, there isn't something so much to study as there is this rapidly evolving thing that you have to constantly chase. And the high design process, frankly, takes as long as the engineering process. And for them to go in parallel all the time, like that's not always going to happen, right? Yeah. And when we have such a wide range of products, um, you know, we don't just make one watch. We make a lot of different watches. We specialize our products. You know, there's, there's different things on the back of the watch that are driving different sizes for, you know, the, the biometrics cluster that's back there. Um, or different materials for the, the rear cases and, and different shapes, right? And so all this is constantly changing, new technologies put being put in. So to maintain one form that always works, um, like you say, is ex- extremely challenging. Um, so we do our best to reuse chargers where we can and have a, a universal, it's a universal plug charger is something that we do have across in our Phoenix and Instinct lines uh, we do have a different charger from mark um, because at the price point that we're offering it we felt like a more elegant uh, seamless um, you know higher powered experience is, is is what is really deserved at that price point and so there there is something different there it's got different materials etc so um, yeah it is a real challenge we are constantly looking at that um, trying to standardize where we can. But um, yeah, unfortunately, it's not just to put a USB-C plug on there and, and it all works. It's, it's, it's a great response. Um, last question, because we are out of time, is about 
getting into Garmin in general. Now, I believe that if you're familiar with the Garmin operating system and you've been wearing it, you can pretty quickly see the appeal of something like the Mark. It looks really cool. It's got the top quality stuff and it's, it's, you know, it's really top of the line. But if you're not really accustomed to the Garmin universe and you don't know if it's sort of an operating system you like, what do you recommend as a product, because there's many right now and I think it's hard to know where to start, that allows people to sample, is the Garmin operating system right for me? And then after they're familiar with that, they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to invest in, in the luxury version. Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends what your, um, what your interest is. But, um, you know, I would say that, uh, you know, the Phoenix is a great line to get into. There are, you know, it's quite a wide range of, of costs from the lower, lowest end Phoenix to the upper end um, that you can, you can try and see what that Garmin experience is like. Even even some of our lower cost venue products are still great and have a lot of the functionality. They just don't. They're not going to have all of the um, outdoor, you know, more rugged capability that say a, a Phoenix or a Mark is is going to have. But um, it, they still compare very very well to you know what the competition is doing. I think and get you in there at a, at a lower price point. So you can kind of see the Garmin ecosystem and how we how we present you your health and wellness information and, and how we do. Um, activity tracking and, and help you understand your, your overall fitness um, notifications, things like that. So, yeah, I, I don't know if there's a single product, but I would say if you can afford it, certainly a, a Phoenix is, is great to get a, a glimpse into what the Mark has to offer. Perfect, perfect. Todd, we're out of time, but I want you to let people know where can they learn more about Garmin watches or Mark specifically on the internet? Where would you want to direct their attention? Um, yeah, so our, our homepage is, is a great place to learn more about it. If you just click on the main drop down and go into Mark Luxury Watches, um, you can see all about our new fused carbon fiber material. We have a great manufacturing video where we really get into the nitty gritty of, of how we make these watches, um, all the time and effort that's put into it to creating them. And yeah, I would start there. Of course, there's some great content on YouTube as well. If you just you know Google Mark. Excellent. Um, I continue uh, getting excited about reviewing the latest Garmin smartwatch. So, Todd, thank you to yourself and the rest of the Garmin team for the great stuff you do. This has been the Superlative Podcast interview with Todd Register of Garmin. Todd, thank you so much. Thanks, Ari. Really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Superlative Podcast. This show relies on support from you, the audience. Please subscribe, review, and share Superlative with your friends. To get the latest watch news and enthusiast commentary, also listen to the blog to watch weekly podcast. For show ideas, comments, or business, please contact us at podcasts at a blog to watch.com. <laughs>